Welcome to the EMT Pro Podcast, where we deliver relevant EMS content from the field in the classroom each week. Episodes of this podcast can get you one full hour of CE through our partner, emt-ce.com, so head over there for more information. I'm your host, Steve Williams, and with me is Dan and Holly. Guys, welcome back. How long has it been? Hello. Uh, it's been a while. At least six months. Yeah. Wow. At least six since our last one. Yeah. Uh, we never, I think it's worth putting out there that we never had it, had a plan to stop doing the podcast. Nope. It was always just on hold because yeah. life kind of smacked us. Uh-huh. Definitely. Life smacked the world in a lot of ways uh-huh. uh, recently. And we've got a really different podcast today than we've ever done before, but I think it's going to be really good and educational for people because a lot of people talk about our topic today, which is disaster medicine. That is true. And yeah, all sorts of different ways that people can get involved and help. Um, some paid, some not. A lot of them are volunteer. Most are volunteer. Most yes. are volunteer. Mm-hmm. Um, but the main person we're going to be interviewing is our own one and only Dan. Oh my! Because you've got quite the experience. so much pressure now. The one and only, no pressure. You can do this. Yeah. Have you ever been paid for the disaster work you've done? No. I've had my way paid. Yeah, like a flying uh, ticket or something. Yeah, but for the most part, pay your way. And do it on a volunteer basis. Yeah. So. Awesome. Which is, you know, which is fine. You can get sponsors and such, so. Sure. Yeah, there's ways to get around that kind of stuff. Cool. So, before we dig into it, I think we need to discuss, just real quick, the ridiculously sporadic schedule that we have. And how it's hard to make life work with the three of us on a consistent basis. Yes. But we do still have plans to, throughout the year, make more episodes. Absolutely. And. It's just going to be, we're not going to be that regularly scheduled Tuesday, you know, afternoon, the new one comes out kind of thing. With our lives, that's impossible. (laughs) Truly impossible. (laughs) I think with most of our listeners, they're like, yeah. 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 Is it Tuesday? What day is it? Yeah. What time is it? I know it's it's, uh, a shift today, but Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, cool. So Dan, can you, let's just start off like defining what quote unquote disaster medicine is and how... You originally got involved with it and what, you know, your background with it's looked like. So disaster medicine is when you take your skills uh, abroad or domestically during a time of uh, natural disaster or in this case, the Ukraine, which is not a natural disaster, which is man-made disaster. And you, you utilize your skills in what, whatever's needed. So uh, I started, I think my first one was back in 2001. I went to... El Salvador after the earthquake. And of course, you know, at that time you have these high, high expectations. And that's, that's the thing that, that really takes a lot of people away from disaster medicine because you, you figure, okay, I'm a paramedic. I'm going to go over there and I'm going to do this, this, and this. And you go over there and you don't do any of those things. You do something totally different. Like what? Like handing out water or... Right. And so, you know, uh, initially we were told we're going to go do search and rescue and Uh so on and so forth. So we didn't do... I think we did that one day on that first deployment. And the rest of the time we had clinics uh, around the area where we were handing out vitamins and, you know, giving hugs. and, Mm -hmm. And so that can throw a lot of people off, especially if you're paying your own way and taking time off work and you're away from your family. So that's difficult. Uh, but then when you... When and it, you it, I just, it's, it's difficult because you want to use the skill set you have. Right. But then you got to think your other skill sets. You are 
and, and I hate to say this, but you go to other countries, especially developing nations, as an American, you have a lot of power in just being there, mm-hmm. just being there and talking to the people and recognizing uh, their needs and their, you know, that who they are. And so uh, we can't underestimate that. You don't have to be doing surgical cracks on the side of the road to have a successful deployment. Mm-hmm. You can go to someone's hut, sit on their dirt floor and have goat mm-hmm. and rice and beans every day. <laughs> is that what you had yes yeah um and and just just have conversations and sometimes you know we don't speak the language mm-hmm. and so you don't have to speak the languages which is did you guys ever have an interpreter sometimes mm-hmm. and sometimes it's it's just the you know the one-on-one uh it's amazing what you can do with your hands your face your smile and you can do a lot of a lot of conversing with just that. Yeah. So what you're saying is, if you know, the, for the medical people, if they're going to sign up to do a mission or um, a deployment, mm-hmm. um, really just be open minded to whatever you're being called to yes. do at that moment. Yes. Which could be not medicine at all. Right. Exactly. It, uh, there's this guy that's going over to Ukraine right now that was in contact with me after I got back, and he's from. Uh, Czech Republic and he has all these expectations of what he's going to do because he watches the news and there's all this stuff going on over there and sure uh, our skills could be used but maybe that's not the right avenue to do that Mm -hmm. so uh, and so I've been I've been fortunate enough to go on uh, quite a few deployments some yeah so you started in 2001 Mm -hmm. and then after that first one what were your thoughts like Obviously, it's, you said it wasn't it wasn't one hundred percent what you expected, right? But, but you still way, went back. Yeah, other ways it was amazing. Yeah, just just playing with the kids and you know doing that kind of stuff. It was it was amazing, and we made a we made a difference, mm-hmm. we made an impact. Yeah, we didn't go dig out any bodies or anything like that, but we we definitely made an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, so after that, I think it was the tsunami. I went to India. What year was that? Two thousand four. Okay. I there's so I get some of them mixed up like I don't remember what Katrina was and when Rita was and yeah so I think that was the next one okay. and uh, and so that was that was a long one and we were really in one place the whole time and it was in an orphanage in in India and it was real close to where it was where the tsunami was in India and a lot of those kids you know they knew orphans because of the tsunami mm. and so a lot of that was. Uh, just like wellness checks and playing with the kids. And what did a wellness check look like for you? Like oh, what kind of equipment man, did you I, have or not have? Well, a lot of these you you go with a, a team, a variety. Like you have a uh, paramedics, you have EMTs, you have just regular folk, you have doctors, uh, pharmacists. So it depends on the team that you go with. And so. When we got there, it, it all started really weird because we get there after a 42-hour transit and we're riding a bus to where we're going and it's the middle of the night and we're exhausted. I remember the bus stopping abruptly and I'm sitting there next to the window. I look out and there's a Jeep rolled over and there's bodies laying on the ground. And naturally, I'm a first responder. I'm yeah, starting to get up. Do it. And they just keep driving. And, mm-hmm. and we've come to find out that was part of our team that was in that accident. They had gone in two separate Jeeps. And so uh, one of them had died. Two of them were in the hospital. 
<laughs> we just kept rolling by. And so it just, it just kind of set the tone. Um, and so after that, there were some of the team that went home. And so I was there with a, with a doctor and I think three paramedics. And we did. Uh, what know, was the reasoning for just keeping going? Because safety. Safety. Yeah. Gotcha. You know, you, there's a lot of these where, you know, I'll get to Haiti later. But uh, when you have, when you find something like that, it's not like here where you stop. In, in some of these developing nations, that may be a trap. Mm. So it's just all safety. Just keep cruising. Gotcha. And so, uh, uh, so we get to the orphanage and we, we spend three weeks doing clinics there and then going out to smaller villages and doing clinics. And wellness is, is like we were diagnosing ear infections. and You know, you're doing stuff that we haven't been trained on, mm-hmm. but the doctor was there. And so it was really good for us because uh-huh. you're doing something that's... That's cool. Yeah, something a little bit different. And then you're, you're prescribing uh, antibiotics or what, whatever medication because we have, you know, the pharmacy that we, we use that we mm-hmm. brought with us. And so that really helped me develop as a clinician is to go on that side of, mm-hmm. of healthcare. Um, but once again, it wasn't, we weren't looking for bodies or any acute injuries or anything like that. And uh, uh, I came back just uh, looking at my kids like, man, you guys really need to appreciate what you have because I've been playing kickball with kids with a, uh, a deflated soccer ball and they're as happy as can be, yeah. you know. And if my kids don't have the best and so on and so forth, then right. it's not good enough. So yeah. it's hard to to make to draw the line between that because my kids don't know the other end, the other side. Right. So, and it's hard to give them that lesson. I mean, it is. They have to go learn it themselves someday. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. tough. It is. It's real tough. Uh, but that was that was just a super good trip for my own my own inner self. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, then, then we went, and that was nothing like I thought it was going to be. You know, we were told it was going to be, once again, search and rescue and acute injuries. Um, I have a question for you. Yeah. When when you go with one of these volunteer programs, I'm sure there's, you know, there's always, like, different echelons of, of command. Yeah. So when you guys arrive... Um, you don't always get to choose what you do, correct? Like you're directed to whatever the need is at the moment correct. by someone else. Correct. If, yeah. And, and sometimes you look out that way where, okay, since you guys are paramedics, we're going to send you like they did in Haiti where they sent us separately from where they were. Mm-hmm. And it was an amazing trip where the guys who went with the doctors and such, yep. horrible trip. Yeah. So <laughs> they're either really, really good trips. What agencies are you going with? So, uh, I went with one called Project Compassion. They're based out of San Diego. Uh, Medical Teams International, when they were doing volunteers. That's based here out of Oregon. And that was the organization where you met... Um, Debbie. Debbie from yes. one of our previous episodes. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Uh, uh, Team Rubicon. It's another good one. There are so many organizations out there to... To, and we'll get into that later, how to find those organizations. Yeah. And so uh, after India, then we had a domestic one, and that was Katrina. And it was through MTI, but it was kind of contracted through another agency down in the south, which ended up being kind of a, a crooked agency. They were just getting ambulances to get money from FEMA. Oh. And so we went down there, and we had ambulances that we got in Baton Rouge, and we went down to New Orleans, and we were 
you know, doing 911 stuff in New Orleans. And, um, and then we started, it was, it was, uh, how do I put this? They had called the police on us because we were fugitives, they said, because we had their ambulances. Oh. And, and they, Rita was coming, the Hurricane Rita was coming, and we were en route to Texas, which is just a little ways away, to evacuate and prepare those guys. And so we're, you know, we're cruising down the interstate going to Texas, and you know, there's, we're fugitives according to the people that, this crooked agency that we were with. Oh, wow. And so we went to, we went did Rita and uh, we evacuated a lot of people. It was, you know, it was me and several fire guys uh, from my, my department. And that's where I got my PTSD with, uh, I was riding in a Blackhawk, doors are open, we're exhausted. And these 25 year old pilots are up there, you know, just <laughs> flying. And I'm almost asleep, the doors open, I'm looking down and he puts it into a dive. Nice. Oh my gosh! And I, you know, we're up at the ceiling because it's going down so fast. And then he gets almost to the ground, and he pulls it up, and you know, up, and then rolls it, and just he's just showing off. And you know, I worked at, on a helicopter yeah. that time, so this is real personal to me. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's really not cool. It was in not a lot cool of ways. Yeah. And I still I cannot ride. I can, but I forced myself to ride Tower of Terror. The first time I did it with my kids, I was in tears because it just took me back to that. Yeah. yeah. And then I just forced myself to get back on and force myself because it's my son's favorite ride. Yeah. And I hate it because yeah. it takes me right back to that. Yeah. Uh, so we get to do a lot of cool things there. And then I have a question about when you guys, I mean, regardless of your fugitive status. Fugitive status. Well, uh, it sounds pretty cool, too. It does. Yeah. Oh, I'm kind of a badass. Um, so when you guys went from um, Louisiana to Texas, mm-hmm. this was the same trip. Same trip. That you were on. So when you guys arrived, it's you and how many people on the way? Uh, we had six ambulances. Okay. And we're like just doing two it. per each? Yeah. Okay. Think. think so roughly six. a dozen people. Correct. How do you organize yourselves and then decide what to do next? Uh, or maybe you don't. I'm we, just curious. Like, don't. is there a command status? Is there someone's well, in charge of... We, um, in the fire department, obviously, we have command right. staff, and we had some officers with us, uh-huh. so we just naturally rely on them okay. at, for, the, for the guidance, right? Because uh-huh. up to firefighters, we're going to freelance and, you know, which yeah. we, right. we did some, right? But uh-huh. Which is kind of nice because yeah. you have the autonomy to do what needs to be done, but within that group of autonomous people, yes, how we, did you, you decide your, who was going to do what? It's, it's natural because natural. this person is an officer, so we... As we do in the fire department, we direct our stuff to that officer. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and that was just kind of decided. Yeah. Or it's just known, really. Just known, yeah. yeah. So when you get to Texas now, do you know where you're headed? Uh, yes. Were they like, okay, team of fugitives, you go to this city and right. this is what you're going to do? And it's been so long, I can't remember how we knew we were going to go to Lake Charles. Uh-huh. Um, and so when we get there, we... Yeah, I can't remember how we did that. And then, so we meet up with Lake Charles Fire Department. Okay. And then we start the evacuation process. So basically, you have a destination that you're going to get to, and then from there, it's all it's new. Cool. Exactly. Okay. That's cool. And so, uh, you know, we get there, we do a lot of evacuations, um, storms coming in, and we are exhausted. We've been up for two days. And I remember the only, because all of our, our bedding had been washed out 
all of our supplies have been washed out. And so we went to those one of the volunteer centers and I had this little Barbie sleeping bag. So it's too small, it's pink <laughs> and everything else. And so this little Barbie sleeping bag and that's why I'm sleeping in. And Reed is coming in. Anderson Cooper's outside this building, you know, start, you know how he does it. He's out there in the middle of the storm and such. <laughs> and we're in the center hallway and I slept through the entire hurricane. Really? Yeah. So it was, it was pretty cool not having to go through that because I'm not a big weather guy. Yeah. It starts raining and I start. I love bad weather. Oh, you do? I do. Terrifies me. Yeah. Thunder and lightning. Yeah. Oh, my kids laugh at me. <laughs> so, so you're all hunkered down anyway for the hurricane to come in. There's down. nothing for you to do. Nothing for us to do. Except wait till it. Until the next does morning. Does damage and then the next right. morning. So you get to St. Charles, for example, mm-hmm. and then you're basically just kind of absorbed into their system that they already have right. established. Yes. And I would imagine at that point, with a natural disaster like that, they're operating on a not normal schedule. They probably have people coming in doing, what, five, six-day rotations? Yes, and a lot of their houses have been taken out. And yeah. so, yeah, we had, uh, I think, three different fire departments we worked out with out there. And I, uh, so we were working on their engines. Parked the ambulances, went on their engines after the, the after Rita. And so we took their place, staffing, so they could go home, take care of their houses that had been yeah. damaged. Wow. And uh, uh, I got a lot of fire. A lot really? Of fire. Yeah. Which Did is, you have an engine? Yeah. So we worked with on their engine. Oh, okay. So you were doing fire and EMS. So, yeah. So we did that fire. That sounds like a lot of fun, actually. I mean, in a, <laughs> it is when it's someone else's way. way. Yeah. Right? And, you know, when you're in disaster mode, there's no overhaul, which is nice. my nemesis. Yeah. That's, that's where all the all the fun is. stuff. <laughs> it's like doing our jobs and not having to chart. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. like what it is. Yeah. All the what kind of accountability is there? Like, yeah, oh, this dude question. from somewhere, this fugitive just took our ambu- <laughs> our ambulance our fire truck. This guy's wanted in Louisiana. Uh, <laughs> there's not a lot. There's okay. not a lot of accountability, um, and I'll get to more of that on Ukraine. Uh, but you, you're just. You're expected to obviously be safe, right? Uh, do what's good, but you really don't have protocols at that time either. Uh-huh. And so, uh, especially in other countries, and when I talk about Haiti, that's yeah. that's where you're doing stuff that is way above your pay grade. Um, and so, yeah, we did we did fire stuff. We got those guys back in back in order, and then we had to drive back to Baton Rouge, where we thought the police were going to be. And one so of you my, knew you were. We knew we were in trouble. Okay, yeah. yeah, we knew. Because yeah, because these guys are contracting and they're they're just screwing over FEMA and and we would just not even listen to their phone calls. And uh we get back to I think the National Guard place in Mat Rouge and one of my coworkers from Oregon is there because he's a National Guard and they were deployed. And I have never been so happy to see yeah. someone in my life. Because we immediately got in, inside their rigs. And took off, just parked the ambulances, <laughs> see you, drop the keys, and we're nice. out. <laughs> nice. And of course, there's threats of lawsuits and right. warrants and all that, but none of that ever came to fruition. Yeah. So that's the only domestic one I've ever done. And it was tons of fun. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a lot of fun. So how did you get involved in that with a group of people you work with? Because I think that's pretty unique to go down with. Yes. Five or six people that you know from work. Because medical teams is an organ based. I mean, it's in our first due. Okay. And so uh, we, we had done some teaching with them. Like I'd been to Vietnam and such and uh, to do some teaching for them. Um, and so we kind of had a little bit of a partnership, you might call it. 
And so we'd be the first people they'd call. Gotcha. And so this wasn't, this is, hey, we have, there's a need down here. We were contacted. Are you guys interested? And so we set up a team from our fire department went down. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it was cool. That is to be able to know who you're with and you can work really efficiently. You don't have to get to know each other. Right. And that's, that's great. Yeah. Have you been on other um, deployments like that where you've been with people you know besides uh, Ukraine? So, yeah, the first two, there was like two or three guys that mm-hmm. I went with from our department. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, f- then we went to Haiti and there was uh, quite a few guys from our department. Mm-hmm. So we went two different times. We went after the the earthquake and there were quite a few guys from our department that went over a period of time mm-hmm. and so I went pretty close to when it happened and so my buddy and I were deployed to this outskirt hospital out of Port-au-Prince and um, uh, it's just a little hospital where a bunch of the injured had been taken but there weren't really many doctors mm-hmm. and so at night we were the highest level of care and which was cool but not cool you know, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's a lot of know, responsibility. It's a lot of responsibility. And, uh, I remember one night we had, there's a knock on the, on the door. It was just, it was raining outside. There's a knock on this door and there's all these, we developed relationships in this hospital that I, I will never forget their faces, you know, the amputees and, and, uh, all these kids that have been, that had been hurt. And so a lot of our stuff during the day was just playing with them and just, you know, these, these, Ladies, uh, you know, we had helped chop off their legs and now, or their arms, and now they are deformed. Mm-hmm. And in different cultures, that puts you on a different, you know, you're in a different caste system, basically. Yeah. And so just giving the attention to these people, like, you know what, you're still beautiful to me. And we're just, we're just, you know, there's a lot of pain involved when you get an amputation. So we are just uh, doing massages and rubbing oils on them and, and mm-hmm. just making them feel like they're, they're not freaks of nature with their, with their missing appendage. Yeah. Uh, and so I remember one night, knock on the door, it's raining out, and this lady comes in and she says, and, you know, I don't speak their language, but she's obviously she's getting ready to have a baby. Oh. And, uh, and the Haitian nurses are very gruff. And there's no doctor. And uh, we take her to this little room. There's needles all over the ground. <laughs> it's not a clean place. Yep. And there's a little, one little light bulb hanging down. And put this lady on this, on this, uh, on this bed. And open up her legs. This baby's coming out. And the, the Haitian nurses are whipping her with a, with a stick. You know, this little lashing thing. Because she's, you know, she's in labor. She's yelling, right? And they're lashing her. And I'm down there and I'm trying to stop them. But then I see this baby keeps coming out. And, and so this baby pops out like a mortar. And I'm kind of woo. And it's blue as can be. And we have no BVMs. We have no laryngoscopes. Oh. There's nothing that we can do. So lucky, just little airway maneuvers. Uh, baby starts picking up. But now mom is bleeding because she's ripped all the way through. And so now... Uh, we're taking her to the OR, me and my buddy, who's another paramedic. I'm doing a conference call with, hey, how do we suture this thing up? Because I don't want to mess it up. And so we have to get blood from a relative, IV antibiotics, get her all prepped and packed. And luckily, at the very end, she stops bleeding. And I had an OB guy coming in the next day to sew it up because I could have really ruined things. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not a suture. So... Uh, 
came in the next day and he, he fixed her up. But it's just, and then, you know, you, the other flip side of that is there are things like there was a guy with a head injury, and if he's in the States, you know, they can, they can open up the skull and stuff like that, and there's no issues, but we just had to sit there and watch him over, over a few days just die. Oh, yeah. Which, which yeah. is hard to do when you know what we have up here. So you've really had this range of experiences where you're essentially doing humanitarian aid mm-hmm. to working far outside of your scope. Cutting off legs. Yeah. I mean, yes. you know, all sorts of stuff that yeah. you're having to Zoom call someone to yeah. get some advice on. Yeah. Right. So do you have any idea when you're going to these places what you'll be asked to do? Or is it just kind of like... You have no Don't idea. Yeah. No idea. Because some of those people went right into Port-au-Prince and were holding clinics. So we just lucked out. On what was your team like for, for Haiti? Uh, it was pretty pretty large but dispersed. Uh, so they didn't keep you guys together. Right. So I had one dude I was with for three weeks, one of my coworkers. And then we would have doctors and nurses come in throughout that time. And they would stay for a week and then they'd go. And we were there for three weeks. Yeah. So, and at the very end, um, we had two young girls that, you know, they had external fixators in. We were trying to save their legs. And we were finally able to locate Children's Hospital in San Antonio that would take them. And my buddy and I got on a plane with these two girls, paid a little bit of money to every place we stopped to, uh, you know, to pass through mm-hmm. and flew them to San Antonio. And they're still, they're living large now. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I know. That is awesome. Success story. Do you guys still communicate with them at all? Yeah. That's rad. Yeah, it's real cool. And did they, are they still living back where you found him in Haiti? San Antonio. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Mom came up. Good for them. Yeah. So it was very cool. That's awesome. So a lot of the preparation for going to do something like this isn't just like, what kind of medical training do I have to prepare myself? It's almost like preparing yourself to do the least amount and be okay with it. Yeah. Right. Because you're only as good as your equipment. Right. And, and you might not have any. And be happy with it, right? Right. Because just being there, you're making a difference. Yeah. Because, I mean, you brought these two girls back, which is incredible. Um, you changed but two out the of a million. Of their life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they would have lost their legs. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's all in your mindset. And that yeah. either makes it for these, for these deployments or, or not. And then when you go there, you try to think, what else could we could we do could we send another team to do this yeah and that's what we did in the philippines after yolanda we went over you know once again did a whole bunch of clinical stuff uh but realized that there's a need for teaching the fire department and up to the empty basic level so we did that we set up three different week-long teams to go down there and we certified them all in empty basic uh csim we Realize there's a huge need for that. So we'd be able to set teams up for that to come down. And, uh, and so that one deployment. CISM is critical incident stress management. Yes. Yeah. So we're, if that one deployment brought up four more deployments. Huh. So, and then took it. So the next hurricane they had on that same island, they were able to manage it without us. Because we went over. That's the goal, right? Right. Yeah. We went over to assess. Debbie and I did to assess that, that, and no, we're good. You know, same amount of damage that Yolanda had, but they were able to manage it because they had the training. Yeah. So. That's a pretty cool thing you got to do with Debbie. 
Yeah, it was. Makes me That's really cool. Yeah. And for those of you who remember that episode, uh, Debbie passed away very peacefully. Mm -hmm. um, I talked to her one day. She was great. The uh -huh. next day, I got a call from her niece. Yeah. And so... Yeah, was, we did a... We did a very short, like, two-minute update episode. Oh, okay. Uh, that kind of let everybody know we were going to take a break and that she had passed. Yeah. But yeah. she passed the way she wanted to, so... She did. All good and good mm -hmm. to go. Yeah. Yeah. So, got to pivot a little bit, yeah. sort of. Um, the reason... Well, I, I don't know why this type of episode wasn't on my radar, you know, way back when, or maybe it was. We just had it lower on the list, but... Recently, um, and I, I want to give a little bit of the background on how this came to be from Steve's perspective, but uh, you can fill in all the details that I'm going to miss. But uh, So Dan and I um, and Holly, we shoot content for the websites that we run, which are emt-ce.com and emtprep.com. And we had some stuff scheduled. On the calendar. <laughs> and Did we really? It was a loose schedule. Okay, it was yeah. penciled in. Okay. It, was yeah, it was actually penciled. on my calendar, just yeah. so you know. <laughs> yeah, if it's on Holly's calendar. It was on thank there. You, Holly, thank you for that. <laughs> so it's on the calendar. And I I, I'm doing like a check-in <laughs> text. <laughs> I'm doing a check-in text to see, hey, what are, you know, is this the stuff we're going to be talking about and shooting this week or next week, whenever it was coming up? And I believe your text said something to the effect of things got complicated in the last 24 hours. <laughs> and I was like, what in the heck does that mean? And so you said, um, I think I'm going to the Czech Republic tomorrow. And this was, to give some background, this was like a few days after Russia had started the invasion Correct. of Ukraine. Yes. Um, and so my, like... I don't know what you want to call it, but my like anxiety went through the freaking. You roof. were a little pissed. I was I was angry and I was scared for you in like this combo, mm -hmm. and I was like, "Gosh darn it, this guy is so impulsive. Sometimes I worry about <laughs> like does he does he, is he considering X Y and Z? Is he going to be safe? No. You know, and he's no, not. he's not, and he's not because he's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about <laughs> others, and. That's one of your best traits and also one of your scariest traits as someone who knows you and cares about you, Daniel. <laughs> but um, so lo and behold, uh, Dan, you set up, and I'll let you talk about it, but you set up um, a trip over there with some people you met, which again, that sounded sketchy too, it by was the way. Sketchy. So I met some guys at a coffee shop and now I'm going to the Czech Republic with them. <laughs> all right. So Normal let conversation. Let me clarify this. Yeah. With the, first of all, it was not 24 hours. It was probably 12 I was working at my oh, yeah, even better. overtime at a fire station. One of my, one of my coworkers coming back from, I don't know, somewhere. Uh, I think it was uh, Ireland. He's coming. He has this big fighting thing he does, and he he started talking about you know you know the war has started. We need to can we get some donation stuff going? And I texted him and said, Hey, do you have any contacts over there? And lo and behold. 20 minutes later, I have a contact, and can you leave tomorrow? And so I call my wife. You know, I'm working this overtime shift. Um, hey, uh, could you buy me a ticket to the Czech Republic tomorrow? <laughs> for tomorrow? And my wife is amazing. Yeah, she, she says, is. okay, what time do you want to leave? You want nonstop, obviously, or, well, you know, whatever. She's trying to, you know, but she's just rolling her eyes. I know she is. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I leave the very next morning. I cut my overtime shift in half. 
My coworkers were super cool. They covered my other shifts. And so I did the, the absolute wrong thing you do in disaster medicine, and that's go with no plan. And This no, was kind of a self-dispatch. It was, a, it was a total self-dispatch. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. I had lights and sirens on my body, they were gone. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. ridiculous. And you, you just don't want to do that at all because you become more of a... Uh, liability. Liability, liability, thank you. Yeah. More of a liability mm-hmm. than an asset. And so uh, everything lined up. I got picked up at the airport by this dude. Super nice guy. Uh, I'll give his website. If you can donate something, that would be nice. We'll get into that a little bit. We drove for 10 hours across Czech Republic, Poland, to this refugee camp. And I had no idea what I was going to do. I had zero plan. Uh, thinking, okay, maybe they need help with the refugee camp. We get there. We deliver a bunch of stuff. It's middle of the night. It's creepy as can be. And no, we're good. Okay, let's go to Slovakia. Middle of the night still. We're driving to Slovakia. You know, these windy, dark, dark roads just terrifying because I'm scared of the dark and we get there <laughs> we get there at sunrise so we can get just like an hour's sleep and then uh, I get a text from my buddy's buddy's buddy who says hey I got someone on the other side of the border uh, let's get you in there and so we have medical supplies and such that I've got to get across the border and so this is a five hour how did you get these medical supplies and well, in that short of a time frame and then how did you get them to now crossing the border with a friend of a friend of a friend. So shout out to Sam Medical. Okay. They, that overtime shift was literally three quarters of a mile from their headquarters. And so they got me a bunch of tourniquets and splints and, you know, all the stuff you would need in a war zone. And so now I have it. I've, I've taken it so with So Sam me. Medical, maker Sam, of the Sam Splint. Sam Splint. Sam Sling. Yep. Yep. Sam Tourniquet. Mm-hmm. All wonderful things. Uh, and so now I have this and now it's okay. How much money am I going to have to pay to get across the border? Not just one border, but you know, not just one crossing guard, but another one. So Slovakia, I got to pay money, you know, with a wink, wink. Then I go a little bit farther. Then I got to do it for the Ukraine guys just so that everything is just. And so now where are you entering into Ukraine on the east, uh, on the Western side, um, Slovakia, Ukraine border. And so my wife has already said, and I've got a text from my VC who's on the uh, uh, tactical team. He says, do not go into the Ukraine. You're an American. You will not come back. And so, of course, now I'm thinking, gosh, my wife is going to be pissed. (laughs) (laughs) Because here I am. I'm going to Ukraine. Yep. And so I get in there and these three wonderful dudes pick me up and there's kind of a language barrier and start driving. And I'm talking, and I'm just, where are we going? And so we keep going, keep going, and I hear the word Kiev. And, oh, good and, spot. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that one I know, yeah. right? And I, we have this conversation, and I say, well, where are we going? And it's Kiev. And so now I have to say, hey, can you stop real quick? Just stop, because I know I am, I am not a man's man. I'm not a dude that going into a war zone is not my... That was never... Dan, you're a lover. You're not a fighter. Exactly. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. And I know I was more scared of what my wife would do than what the Russians would do. <laughs> so, so... That's a lot. Yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah. And so we stop and I'm trying... I'm out there and I'm taking a pee and I'm thinking, okay, how do I get around this? How do I do this? 
And so I went back and then I just, I didn't get in the car. I said, okay, I cannot go to Kiev because they were going to drop me on the outskirts of Kiev and say, okay, see you later, you know, with my box of supplies. And I would be more of a liability than an asset. Right. And I would come back in a body bag. You would not come back. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, I finally got across to him that I'm here to do medical stuff, you know, whatever that might be. So it takes me back, puts me on this floor, and next day I'm still thinking, okay, what? Back to where? Uh, Usarat. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a town of about 100,000, mm-hmm. maybe about 150 now with the refugees. Um, and so we get there, and I'm trying to find my place. And so I go to the Red Cross, and we're teaching, we're teaching civilians, uh, like TCCC stuff, tactical combat casualty combat care. care. Yeah. Yep. And j- abbreviated version. And so that was cool. And I thought, well, I could do this for, I could do this for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I got a call from, or I met someone over there who had a, a major buddy, a buddy who was a major in the, in the UK army. And they said they need training, medical training. And so that's when the real fun started. And I spent several days just going from base to base, getting closer and closer and closer mm-hmm. to me, you know. Uh, at least you're the, at a base. You're hooked yeah, up with somebody now. Helpful. You're not yeah. just this one dude with a box. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I kept that box the entire time, and it would get more and more depleted because yep. as I did the classes, and I, I think we taught her, I taught around 600. That's awesome. Um, you know, mainly the March, you know, the March. Right. So, and it was really cool. I learned, I'm not a gun guy either, so I could strip down an AK-47, learn to shoot, I didn't do very well. There was a bunch of lady soldiers there that were just mm-hmm. kicking my butt because mm-hmm. that's who they placed me with. I had this big, <laughs> <laughs> the instructor is this uh, big uh, veteran of the Soviet-Afghan war because they're all part of the Soviet Union back then. Mm-hmm. And he had no patience for me. You know, you know, an American coming over thinking you do all this right. stuff. You can't even shoot a gun. Yeah. But by the end, I could whoop that thing together and I still couldn't hit the target very well, but, you know, still yeah. got the training. Mm-hmm. Um, froze, froze to death. Ate some fish stew, which is horrible. Yeah. Uh, but taught a lot of people, had a really, really good time. Yeah. My wife spent, I think it was three or four weeks in Ukraine uh, back when she was in college. She We're, met a friend out there who was doing a semester in that country. Nice. And she said it was, she describes it as some of the nicest, most wholesome people, but some of the worst food it was horrible. In the entire world. Yeah. Like it was horrible. Probably the worst, she said. Yeah. And it was like gray and dark and she, she described it as being in the Northwest in the, in the bad months, you know, <laughs> like just all the time. That is so true. And yeah. you don't know because the language is nothing like, you see the written language is nothing. You can't decipher anything. Yeah. And so you're relying on pictures or you're looking at someone else's plate or you just, whatever they put on your plate at the army base. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, what, what was super cool about that whole thing is just, I just was able to just whatever the need was. I had zero expectations and going over something like that with zero expectations makes it a whole lot more fun. Yeah. So like every single thing you're doing is, is valuable no matter what it is, no matter what it is, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be in the thick of it. Is it safe to say we shouldn't recommend to people to no, please don't (laughs) (laughs) do it the way you did it. Yeah. (laughs) I have a friend who went over with a sanctioned group Mm -hmm. and they were, setting up a big first aid tent for the refugees that were about to be coming in. And there was a, like this real tough military, uh, I don't know, general or whoever. 
And when the team got there, he said, oh, thank, thank God the Americans are here. Now people will care. Mm. You know, it's like they just, they feel seen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was like, no, no, everyone already cares. Yeah. It's yeah. not us. Yeah. But, and he kind of broke down. Yeah. And so just in that moment of, of the Americans are right. here now. And that's, that's what I've seen all over the world. And we're that. like really not the best people. No, we're not. <laughs> no, we're not. Not at all. But it does, like you said, whatever you're doing, it brings hope that someone came to help you. Yeah. The yeah. world must be watching. You right. know? Lots of resources come yeah. with those kind of people. Yeah. I tell you, the fight that those guys have, yeah. I feel sorry for the Russians. I know. It is. I mean, you're walking through town and you can see, okay, we're making Molotov cocktails over here. Mm-hmm. Over here, we're, you know, the, the old ladies are out doing the camouflage, you know, netting. So it is, it's like what I would assume World War II was during, yeah. during that yeah. time. Well, today is April 4th that we're shooting this, and they, in the last 24 hours, have started releasing images of what Kiev has looked like mm-hmm. um, as Russia has retreated from that spot. Mm-hmm. And the amount of war crimes is yeah. just like every 50 feet, yeah. there's a dead body or evidence of a rape or evidence of someone with their hands bound and dead in the street, just, you know horrible it's horrible yeah. and not that it's any different than any other country as right. is happening in um but what i know of is that it's it's like a very developed first world country mm-hmm. um you know people like you and me used to having all this comfort in the world right um and again it's not any different from anywhere else in the country i'm just saying that it's right. it just seems maybe because i'm at the age i'm at but she seems really relatable yeah and yeah. really freaking scary yeah a lot of places that yeah kind of immune to seeing bad images from, yeah. you know, which is yeah. sad. It's really sad. Yeah. And it, it doesn't make it more or less important. It's just, yeah, it feels really relatable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Maybe seeing all these images now that we're in the media age, we do right. see like lots more access to it. A lot of, you know, moms and kids or, you know, families saying goodbye. I mean, it's very public. Mm-hmm. Do you think a lot of it has to do with the fight, how they have come together as a country man, woman, child, mm-hmm. as a fight, that, that their, their sure. strength is something that, you know, we lack. And it's like, that inspired me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are very inspiring. And it's just something that, like, in the last several years, we just haven't had that fight. Yeah. Right. We've had it amongst ourselves, but not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We, we haven't been able to come together right. for any greater good. And, and they have all come together, which was yeah. just so. And it seems like the neighboring countries have come together, too, in support. Yes. That's, that's super cool. I mean, this dude that drives, he drives 10 hours each way. Um, uh, and he's from Czech Republic. He's well off. He's got a family, but his his focus now is is shuttling uh, supplies and people to the border. And we kind of talked about it earlier, but we're not going to share his name just for right. confidentiality's sake and not wanting to website though. Yeah, we'd love to share his website if we could. Yeah, um, I'll put it in the show notes as well. But is smerica dot org, which is S M E R E K A dot O R G. Um, and his homepage says, the Smerica project is a cross-border initiative to help and support people in Ukraine. We transport humanitarian aid directly to Uzerod, where our network of contacts continues to take it over and, if necessary, transport it to various places. We are mothers, fathers, entrepreneurs, and employees, but first and foremost, we are human beings who not only want to stand aside, but want to help where it is most needed. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, and, and the, the guys who set that here. up are are amazing. Yeah, and uh, to um, 
they they get their stuff to into the combat zones however they need to mm-hmm. i call them smugglers but they're these you know english teachers college professors so they're everyone's just doing their part. oh yeah yeah, yeah. super cool that's great so disaster medicine dan if someone wants to get involved what resources should they start where should they start and they should see what they have locally yeah so i mean like one of the the ones where you could go and do stuff domestically uh international is team rubicon um they and they pay they don't pay you but they pay your way and your lodging and such they just need a, like a commitment like a two to three week commitment that's how how long and it's it's a really dialed in organization uh uh, a big, big, broad spectrum of people who, who volunteer there. You could be, you know, a sawyer who cuts down trees. So Team Rubicon, you said Medical Teams International? Medical Teams. Are they still? They don't really do. What you need to do is you need to get on and look at the the organizations you want to either give money to or that you want to volunteer uh, with and make sure that the money's going to the right place, which is the people. Uh, and just just so you know, Smerica.org is 100% transparent online. You can see how much money's coming in, where it goes, and how much money's going out. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't take any type of payment. It is all 100% going to Ukraine. Uh, so see who's who's legit, where the money's going. I mean, if their CEO is getting paid $10 million a year, probably not the place you want right. to mm-hmm. give your money, right? Uh, but there are smaller organizations, and don't just don't just go for the disaster. Think of education, you know, like the success we had in uh, in the Philippines. You know, let's teach yeah. them before it happens. Mm-hmm. And and that really, really helps. So think of uh, what you have locally. It's a lot easier. And then just tr- just get on the team. And there'll be times when something will happen, you won't be able to go. But that's okay because you can still still stay on the team and still go to, like, I'm, I'm with Team Rubicon, but I haven't, used, I haven't gone with them yet. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe after I retire. Yeah. Yes. So another organization that um, is specific to Ukraine, I have a a college friend. Actually, I'm not a college friend, elementary school friend who uh, went through middle school and high school with in Chicago. Um, And she and I have just stayed in contact over the years on Facebook and stuff. And um, she married a, a gentleman who's Ukrainian. Um, and a few years ago, they said, you know, we want to do something to help her husband Daniel's um, uh, home country. And so they started this just simple, you know, 501c3. To, so just kept in contact with her over, you know, Facebook over the years. And, um, you know, one of the things that she and her husband did was they started this organization that just provides aid in the form of food, um, beds at a shelter, that kind of thing. Um, and so it's a really uh, good organization if you guys are looking for a way to donate. It's ignisinvictus.org, and that's spelled I-G-N-I-S-I-N-V-I-C-T-U-S.org. And again, you talk about transparency. They have an impact report where they tell you where their money's going, how it's impacted for the good. <coughs> um, and you can buy a uh, a food box for 40 bucks or a, um, a supply fund kit for 25 
Um, and again, it's just providing basic needs. Uh, That's awesome. Kind of stuff. So. It's awesome that was already set up beforehand too. Yeah. So it's probably yeah, they already had all the inroads because he has family there. And so their ability to, you know, use their connections there was yeah. huge. So. That's great. On a, a personal note, are they, have they reported back anything? Like how's their family doing there? Yeah. So, so far, so good. Sounds like, um, from what I understand, um, the people they know over there were able to evacuate, but, um. I don't know a whole lot of details about what life for them has been like specifically. They're not, they're, they're in the States, um, but I don't know what life for yeah. his family has been like. Or I couldn't imagine. It's just kind of terrifying to think about like you aren't just, you know, if you're a, a parent, right, you're responsible for yourself, of course, but also your kids. And so now you've got this, these whole other lives you have to manage while in a situation where you have no control you know, and uh-huh. like getting things like my daughter's diabetic, yeah. like that is terrifying to me. How yeah, would I get her right. insulin? Yep. Where yeah. would I go? You know, how long? Right. No electricity, so it's not refrigerated. Right. And, you know, or just even where would I obtain it? You right. know, and that there's so many things that I'm just so grateful for. But I mean, it's just really terrifying for these people. And then, of course, the lasting effects of the trauma and yeah, yeah. like you know, and all just, of that. Just watching them at the border, you know, the tears and some having to leave their dogs and their cats. Uh-huh. It's just horrible. Yeah. So, other than looking locally. Look locally. Uh, do some research. Don't, don't ever do what I did if something comes <laughs> up. Just get yourself involved now with, with a, an organization uh, and, and probably ask around, right? Yeah, I ask mean, around. Check with the people you work with. Right. Someone you, has to have yeah. some sort of experience right. or and at least a recommendation where to start. Look at the small organizations who truly do need the help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where you'll be most impactful. That's awesome. Well, we're at the end of our episode. Is Already? there anything else you want to share? I know. Is there anything else you want to share with the group before we sign off? I'm just glad to be back. Back in the saddle. Good. Yep. Yeah. It is. Absolutely. It's good. Um, our next episode, I've already gotten the cue, um, and I haven't really shared this with you guys yet, but I have a really exciting person to bring on to talk about EMS education. Oh, awesome. And the struggles that we're seeing with it. Um, I think from what my quote-unquote inside sources tell me, we're going to be seeing some depressing numbers in EMS education coming out from what the pandemic has done to uh people leaving the profession yeah. um people leaving school people not signing up or enrolling for school so yeah now's the time to get in yeah you want a job now's the time to do it it's a good time yeah so let's leave it there but uh thanks for joining us guys and uh we'll catch you on the next one thank you